Hi, I'm Lisa McEwen. And I am Lisa Wagner. Oh, actually, I want to put my middle name. And I am Lisa. <laughs> Let's start again. <laughs> Welcome to episode six of. Um... <laughs> oh my god. We just. We just... <laughs> well, we just went over all the different things the we could sign get off. Wrong. And then I was like, wait, no, we've got to get it? No, that's not. <laughs> This would be a good blooper. Hi, I'm Lisa McEwen. And I'm Lisa Anita Wagner. And together we are... She's She's Gotta Gotta Have It! it, Exclamation mark. Hello, listeners. Welcome to She's Gotta Have Have It! it. Exclamation mark. In which we talk about Californication, Season 1, Episode 4. But before we dive into our (gasps) description, I think we should talk about what we've been up to. Well, do you want to talk about what we've been up to or do you want to dive into what we want? You, You have an excited look on your face and I'm wondering what you were thinking. I just was realizing I hadn't thought about the what we want yet, but yeah. because I feel so much physically better, it yeah. just it, that's why I got excited. Because I was like, oh, I feel like my what I want is so much more open now. Oh, okay. Um, but I don't mind with a little catch up because it's been a while since we've recorded. Yeah. And I do feel like I've got my Ehlers Danlos good news, and you've got yeah. your conference. So why don't you start with your good news? Yes. Recently, I finally got into the Good Hope Clinic, which I love the name. And even within the hospital, they have a zebra like on the glass. So it just really, just it just feels like such a different kind of clinic. There now, I'm on. Do you want to explain what the zebra lists. means for the listeners? Yes, that's a great idea. A zebra, because Ehlers-Danlos is a rare illness in medical school. Apparently, they have a saying: "Don't look for the zebra when it's a horse. Like, don't look for the unusual thing." But in the case of this particular rare illness, we are the zebras. Yeah. And and I guess to give a bit of context, I since I was a teenager, I used to have like zebra rocker pants and I've been yeah. wearing zebra stuff for so long that when I found out the rare illness I have has a zebra for a logo, it seemed like a universal joke. Yeah. Um, I had you have zebra, zebra napkins. Everything is so mugs. That just feels like, you know, great. And as I was saying upstairs, I've emailed the clinic already and the doctor emails back. It's a really wonderful experience, this Good Hope Clinic. And I haven't even really started. I've just gotten some medication and now I'm on a bunch of waiting lists. But even the, the little bit of time on the medication, I feel so much better in my body and so much more capable of showing up for things, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Showing up for my life. So that's my news. And you have just been to New York. I've just been to New York City. I went for three days. I did a, a work in progress workshop where I presented the final chapter of my dissertation or a version of it. It's a rough version of it, but that went over very well. And now I'm basically poised to just be revising until I submit in hopefully April. But as any of you familiar with academia know, they're there's no certainty in timelines, but um, but right now I'm looking to submit in April, and, and I think I can do it, and I'm excited to, to get there and just move on with my life. Yeah, so it feels, I feel like I'm in a good position. I feel like I've done a lot over the last seven or eight weeks, and I'm excited actually just for a while to have a routine, and because, uh, as some of the listeners know, I have 
some sciatic issues that that stem from a, a lower back injury I had a few years ago that is still I'm still recovering from and the recovery is still going in positive directions but is very slow and gets aggravated by lots of doings and travelings and presentations so I'm excited to just have a couple months where I'm more stationary and yeah and also you've recently done the the stand-up comedy thing. I don't Have think I talked about I don't know if I talked about that. I don't, I don't think that. so, no. I also, I presented it at this workshop last week, but I also presented a couple of weeks ago at a philosophy conference in which they had also asked me to do some stand-up comedy. And that went very well. Uh, like, surprisingly well. Like, comedy clubs tend to have a smattering of demographics, but this was a kind of singular demographic, which was the Canadian, it was the conference for the Canadian Society for Women in Philosophy. And they very, I think, bravely and amazingly asked me to do some comedy. And that's partly because I have some academic jokes and I have no audience for them. And so I ended up writing like three or four new academic jokes on my own, which was hard because up until now I've taken a class in which a teacher has helped me kind of bang my ideas into shape, but I didn't have a teacher helping me this time. So it was a mixture of old jokes and my new academic jokes. And then I also put together the story of a particular harrowing plane journey I took last March back from the UK, which Lisa here helped me to craft into a, a bit of a comedy routine. And altogether, it was about 20 minutes long. That's like, the thing. Before that, you've been performing five. So yeah. it was a huge step in all aspects. I know. And yeah, and it um, it went very well. They were very unified as an audience. It was a great audience. It was a lot of fun and it was exhausting, but very rewarding. So, woohoo! Go you! Thanks. Go You've us. Done many things. Yeah. Yes. Uh, oh, and I guess I'm also a jury for the next stage festival, which is new for me. Um, so I've been reading plays and offering my thoughts on that. So that's been also very satisfying. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. So yeah. And I guess now we will dive into what we want. What we want. Do you want to start or shall I start? Go ahead and start. You know what? I had one last week and I now forget what it is. I'm going to try and remember for a second. And if I can't, then I'll just choose a new one. Because I think the last time I said I wanted makeup, like just, I wanted to get rid of like yeah. a whole bunch of old makeup clutter, have some like simple makeup so that when I feel so inclined it's that I will. easy, yeah. Yeah. And there was something related to that that I wanted and I do not remember what it is. So I will just say that what I want this week is to meditate more. As much as my self-care during stressful times has gotten better, I really let the meditation draw because it doesn't feel as important, but it's probably one of the most important things I can be doing because as somebody with anxiety, for example, it's very easy to get lost in your own spinning of catastrophizing. And I think meditation is like a really good, it's like working out for the mind. Like it's a really good exercise in allowing your attention to drift and then bringing it back. And then it drifts again and you bring it back. And it's like the exercise of the bringing it back muscle. And so people mm. who are really experienced meditators will tell you, you never get to a point where your mind is just clear and you just don't have anything in it. Like that's, I think, what the novice imagining of what meditation is. And that just seems impossible. And it seems also a little bit boring. <laughs> but the reality is your mind is always going to have thoughts in it. But what you're trying to do is get to a place where you're having your thoughts. Your thoughts are not having you. 
And although I've gotten through the last seven or eight weeks of this like hectic schedule really well and I'm doing really well, um, I feel like I'm at a place where it's much easier for my thoughts to gain control over me and to kind of allow that to take over in unproductive ways. And I want to get back to a place where I feel like I'm exercising that attention muscle better. Nice. So that's what I'm going to go with right now. And next one, next week, listeners, I'll have a more fun material one again (laughs) (laughs) when I remember what it is. (laughs) Mine is a bit related to just my news about feeling better. But I guess last week I had that kind of convoluted one, but it was about, for me, sort of being really ambitious again and and choosing more openly with my career. Mm. And, And today, because I have, yeah, my body's feeling better, I feel looser, I feel way less nauseous. I'm now really want to enjoy things again. Cause I used to def, I always felt like I was a hedonist at heart, Mm. but having had that really sort of tough chronic illness time, I have, I'm less practiced in my hedonist way of being. Mm. So just the other day I took a bath and I was like, I will rub beautiful scented oil into my hair first. And even just like the little ideas like that. I haven't had ideas like that in a while. I'm struggling in the tub just to get out. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. So that little bit of extra, I feel like I really want to remember that because I think I am, I am a hedonist at base. So I feel like I just have to get that muscle going again and just try to find the enjoyment in like small, like a really good cup of coffee at a place or yeah, yeah, rubbing nice smelling oil into my hair before I wash it, that kind of stuff. There was a song on I liked and I danced in my studio upstairs. So small things like that, but it feels really like I'm stepping back into my life. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Californication. Let's dive into Californication. What is this episode called? So this episode is called Fear and Loathing at the Fundraiser. And the description is as follows. Meredith convinces Hank to escort her to an environmental fundraiser. Coincidentally, Bill and Karen are at the same event where Karen makes a scene. Also, Hank runs into Danny and Charlie while they are in his office. It's a very concise... That one is concise. Yeah. So do you have any initial thoughts about this? First thing that, that, that jumped out, I guess... Um, because I'm such a fan of Runkle and Marcy, yeah. I kind of, yeah, I did forget, because I, I, I feel like later on it's more of an, I have a more open situation, but I forgot at this beginning stage that it was, it did look like if Hank wouldn't have come in, it could have turned into a cheating situation. I had forgotten that. So that was a very interesting point. Okay, that's interesting because I think for me at this point, it already is a cheating situation. And what I what I like about this is it's like going back to the kind of discussions we were having about how they're developing Hank as a character and how in the first episode it's clear that he has slept with the wife of the director who he feels ruined his book slash movie as revenge. But that Hank's M.O. is not to be a cheater or to be deceptive. Like there were a couple of moments in this episode I think where actually Hank emphasizes this so he emphasizes it actually at the fundraiser when he realizes that Meredith has lured him there a little bit under a ruse yes because Meredith I mean we don't know a lot about her character I'm willing to believe that she's actually feeling torn but she's still hung up on married guy she wants to prove something to married guy about how he's missing out because 
She's dated him for, I think she says, five years, mm-hmm. and he never left his wife. And the whole thing is a bit of a cliche, but she wants Hank there to kind of make him jealous. And Hank only realizes this halfway through the fundraiser. And she's like, she she pretends that she didn't know he was going to be there, and he just looks at her and he's like, it's okay, just don't lie about it. Like, yes. you want to make a scene? Let's make a scene. scene. Yeah. And then he does this sort of, like, dip kiss that is, like, ridiculously over-the-top kind of romantic, but also seems to have the effect that, that Meredith wants it to have. And then <laughs> and then he's later, he walks into Charlie's office, <laughs> and he sees Danny in her lingerie standing on the desk, and Charlie with his camera, and, like, what, what does he say? He says something like, holy fuck nuts or something yeah. like it's just hank had an inkling that something was kind of going on between danny and charlie but didn't quite realize the level it had escalated oh, yeah. to and then and then kind of sits down and has a talk with charlie and it's like if you, if there's an issue with marcy like talk to her about it like that this is not like the way forward and charlie just sort of collapses in on Hank kind of like a like a big baby. Yeah, like I, looks... I looked at him and I was like, oh my god, he looks so much like a toddler. I guess even mm. his emotions, because they were so mm-hmm. like, I guess juvenile. And then and I was like, wow, that's just an interesting image altogether. Yeah, that like Charlie is like allowing the situation to sort of run him without sort of pushing back and thinking like, okay, how do I, how do I like actually run my life? How am I going to be self-possessed about this? And Hank isn't necessarily great at being self-possessed about his life either. But Hank, I think, throughout the series is very good at kind of offering advice to people. Yes. And he was also really decisive. Like, he was like, Danny, go. Like, do you know what I mean? He really took charge of it. Because I think because the way Danny is so motivated, I like that about her. She's like, no, not. She's like, I'm going to seduce you right now. Let's go. So that's that's really great as a female character and really yeah. cool. But I do feel like she was just going to run um, Runkle right out of his manties. Do you know what I mean? Take his, and like just totally right into an affair. <laughs> <laughs> out of his manties? Like his little man panties. <laughs> I um, love that word. It's amazing. <laughs> and it's funny because they're just, he just has boxer briefs, but on Runkle somehow they're more manties. Like it just seems like, yeah. Yeah. And then it took someone like Hank, first of all, that Runkle really respects and that yeah. so to just like say like, you go home, you do this, you stop. So yeah, it was a really, it is a really powerful moment. And I guess in my memory of the show, I did remember Runkle w- got involved, but I didn't realize it was, yeah, I guess that close. And it's interesting when you said he's already cheating, I was like, he already is. But I guess I was cutting him all this weird slack. Yeah. But no, I mean, I, I know what you mean. Like they haven't actually officially officially. Had sex yeah, yet, yeah. Like, and I felt like he was, yeah, it was, it wasn't going good, but I felt like he had more Runkle ethics than what ended up. Like in five minutes, he's in his mantis on the floor with a camera. So you just see that, yeah, you said he wasn't going to stop it. No. Yeah. <laughs> like Hank is this sort of surprising kind of weird, like angel of authenticity in Charlie's life. Because like, that's what it is. It's authenticity. Like how he said, don't lie. Like, mm-hmm. don't lie to me. Let's do this. Yeah. It is really about authenticity. Yeah. And transparency about what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Because Hank is a lot of things, but he's not a liar. Yeah. Like, he might at times deceive himself. I think that that's true throughout the series. But he is somebody who speaks truth to both. Like, you know, I mean, you see him giving sort of advice to Mia in what ends up being slightly paternalistic ways. But, like, in a caring way. Mm -hmm. But it's not like Hank goes around telling just women what to do. Like, he's also telling a lot of the men in his life... Like, fucking pull up your socks, get your act together, which is interesting because that's a little bit how Karen feels about Hank, right? 
But also, Hank is not wrong. Like, when he says these things to the, the characters around him, he's often... He's often on point. In ways that I think... That's part of what's compelling to me about him. Like, that's what's sexy. That he is somebody who, despite not having his own life together, like, he is somebody who has good instincts and kind of takes a hold of a situation when it's in front of him. Yeah. And I think that's about the authenticity, too. Because if you're really focused on authenticity, you're really in the moment, and then you can help people better. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah, I think Hank does have a lot of aspects of, of... of the character of stuff that I just like yeah. in a person. Yeah, exactly. What else do we want to talk about? I'm just thinking back to the beginning. Cause I got, I got really, um, yeah, that Runkle thing thing at the end was really where my mind was. How did the episode start again? It started with Hank and Meredith in, in a bed together and she was inviting him to try and like step out on the town because she was feeling worried that her relationship with a married guy had been so, secretive and like indoorsy bedroom bedroom focused she wanted a kind of more robust relationship where you would kind of go out with someone so you don't feel like you're compartmentalized or you're a secret and i and i can imagine that being kind of like a competing impulse like that she genuinely wants that with hank but then also she she knew she was going to try and kind of rope him into this jealousy escapade performance of something at the at the fundraiser not sure that there's like there's a lot of different things I want to talk about, but the other thing I wanted to talk about was Karen running into that dude who called her a cunt. Mm. I want to talk about that. Me too. And Hank's reaction, and Bill's reaction versus Hank's reaction. reaction. What did, so do you want to, I feel like I talk a lot. So (laughs) that was really, that really stood out as well because also she is such a often two dimensional character for her to Mm. suddenly be less dressed because you called, you pointed that out. And again, it's still, she was, quite covered-ish, but yeah. at least, um, not at least, but you saw her shoulders and her arms. And just as a side thing, because you just, you said, I wonder if that tattoo is the characters or the actresses. Yeah. And I think they would have covered it if it was a Karen thing. I feel like they would have covered it. So I yeah. feel like they made a deliberate choice maybe to make, like, be like, oh, there's some spiciness under the yeah. under the clothes. Yeah. Spiciness. Yeah, that's a good word. <laughs> Hollywood spiciness is a tattoo. She had a real angelic, she's so beautiful, as we've talked about, but the way she was done up with her hair curled, like, she literally looked otherworldly. Yeah. So that was interesting and just part of the mystique that is Karen and then I was surprised that she physically pushed the guy and reacted in that way that was a surprise so I am not I like it but I'm not sure I'm not sure about it it's you know what it's so true that it reveals something about her character we just see so little of her actual character because here's what we learn in future episodes which is that she was a bartender at CBGB's in New York City oh. it's like that's a woman who would know how to deal with a man who was harassing her yeah. like and not be afraid, afraid. yeah to to confront him and so it's funny but like we you know I don't even remember when we actually learned that it might be like two seasons or three seasons from now so it's like it's not contextualized for us. And I think you're you're absolutely right because even the the first moment that Hank sees her, just in terms of like male gaziness, Hank like loves this woman, but he's like taken aback at how angelic she looks. And she's not I don't think she's often done up like that during the rest of the series. So it's actually yeah. a particularly right angelic kind of look. And then to have her be so aggressive. So to have her on the one hand look so feminine and on the other hand act so aggressively, I think is an interesting juxtapositioning. Um, if we're thinking about like how women appear and how we want them to appear and how women actually are (laughs) and the fact that like this asshole was so aggressive and rude to her and just the fact that she without even thinking about it without feeling ashamed about it 
that's the other thing I like. She's unashamed of how aggressive she gets. Mm, yeah. And, um, and I'm not necessarily saying like that was the best way to handle it, but like, I, I really relate to this and the way that Bill steps in and says, you know, like stop making a scene because Bill is a, like a high status person at this fundraiser and is now worried about how things are going to appear. Whereas Karen's sense of like dignity has been attacked and just her subsequent sort of struggle against Bill. I was actually really angry at him for acting as though Karen was being inappropriate because here's the other thing that happens when, uh, you know, within the world, there's racism or sexism or misogyny that's lobbed at people. When you then react to it, you look like you're the person making the scene. And that's often how we uh, see it as society. And certainly Bill didn't see yeah. the first thing. And then the guy denied it. Like it was very, it was actually like a nice little encapsulation of the Me Too movement. This guy is a total douchebag. And then she reacts to him and he's like, I didn't do anything. She's being crazy. I don't know what she's talking about. She misheard me or something. And it's so easy to imagine that he's telling the truth. It's so much easier for people to imagine that he's telling the truth rather than Karen actually heard a thing and was reacting. I mean, within the level of appropriateness, like maybe a li- it was like a bit of an overreaction, like physically, but just that she got so angry. And the reason that this spoke to me and you've heard about this, is that I was on a family cruise a couple of years ago. It was a cruise to and from Bermuda, and it was happening right around my 35th birthday. I was having a good time until an uncle of mine said something incredibly misogynistic. And my mother was right there, and she heard it, and she didn't say anything. And it was very much a little bit like this scene with Karen, because I got so angry and my mother was like just just like don't be offended by it just like don't make a scene like I just like my dad had just died she she was dealing with a lot of emotional stuff and anyone making a scene is is very stressful for my mother she grew up in a very like Britishy household so her reaction is like just decide to not be offended by it And that, at the time, because of the combination of where I was emotionally, because my dad had just died, and also what this particular person had said to me, I was not really in a place to do that. And it really felt like, as much as I understood her impulse to say that, it felt very, very frustrating to be in that position. In part because my dignity had been attacked, and it felt like I was alone and I had no allies, right? And so then when somebody's trying to also then tell you not to react emotionally in the way that you want to react like that's even more invalidating and the thing that I think was the most kind of hurtful part of it is just that my mother and I were both reeling from my father's death and my father's reaction had he been there would have been Hank's and that's what struck me rewatching this episode my dad would have fucking killed him and like it suddenly the absence of that force in my life was painful like I was painfully aware of it not because because I think that it's very easy to read this Hank thing as a white knight thing and it's a little bit of a little bit of that he comes in and he does something kind of like brutish in order to kind of like stand up for Karen but there is something kind of nice about somebody who is like an ally or on your side or is who is willing to like stand up for you in a, in a slightly more confident sort of way. Mm-hmm. And I think that was like a whole 
thing for me. And so when I rewatched this episode of Californication, I really feel like I have been in that position. And there is something that is very satisfying about the Hank response versus the Bill response. Um, yeah. Because it is validating the feelings of the marginalized person even if it's maybe like you know violence is maybe not the answer uh i don't think my dad actually would have punched this person but my dad probably would have aggressively told them off you know and said like that is not an okay thing to say that is inappropriate never do that again or else i'll fucking kill you like that's what i wanted somebody to say to him in that moment well it's interesting just hearing that i had heard that before but just hearing it again in relation to this that moment when someone like Hank or, or this, how your dad would have been, mm-hmm. that is someone putting you absolutely first. Like, it's like, yeah. this is not okay. I'm going to, like, <laughs> mess up the room <laughs> to make you okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. So it's interesting. And I feel like that impulse of that a lot of people in society have of, like, don't yeah. make it more. And I don't want to throw my mother under the bus here. Yeah, I no, understand I, I, that she was in a hard place. Yeah. In that moment, the person is, like, making your safety the utmost priority in in a general sense. Yeah. Also just thoughts I was having as you were talking. I'm just curious to break it down again. He spilled a drink on her, Mm -hmm. the Karen and uh, obnoxious guy. And then did he spill a drink and call her a cunt? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's what I thought. I wasn't sure if it was afterwards, but it was impressive again with the angelic (sighs) sort of look of her to see her with just full confidence in her face and her eyes come at him. Yes. And then he went back. Oh, so satisfying. Because you really don't see that that often. And it is it is impressive. And it's interesting that he didn't stay right like this. He he shrank back to it. So there is definitely a power in it. I didn't know she was a waitress at CBGB's or it didn't register with me. Yeah. But it's interesting to know those little snippets about her. And similarly, like I have lived in New York City and I have been a waitress for many years. I, not anymore, but I have been in the past. And so my impulse is absolutely to be aggressive and I had to quash that impulse in this moment for the sake of family unity to the, to the, like I had a terrible time on that cruise because I just spent the whole time feeling like gross and upset. And I don't know if uh, any of my family listens to this, but if they do, that's why I was weird on that cruise guys. (laughs) Just in case anyone wasn't noticed or was wondering. And that's a story that I haven't really told publicly until now. And I was wondering upstairs if I should even tell it because I like understand the significance it had in terms of like where I was emotionally at the time. I feel okay about it. I'm okay if my family knows that that is a thing that happened. Nice. Well, I think you presented it really balanced as well. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. And it really does relate, directly relate to that scene in ways that I wouldn't have noticed until you said it. Interesting how that, what was the word you said? It could have like a white knight kind of thing of like that savior. Because yeah, like, it was clear that Karen didn't need somebody to save her. She was happy yeah. to just go and do it on her fucking own. Yeah. And so what was night like, so that I think the the episode makes that clear enough that like Hank reacting to that guy calling her a cunt isn't him saving her. It's, it's like him validating, validating. Her. Yeah. And making her number what her priority number one, which is valid. Yes. Which Bill and all his sort of like appropriateness and safety, like doesn't do. No, he didn't validate her at all. He made her feel like that was her doing. Yeah. Really. That it was her fault for her being fault upset. Her fault for being upset that she shouldn't have. Yeah. I'm so interested in this, just this subject in relation to me now too, because I have often, like when I was running film sets and I'm with my family, mm-hmm. I'm the one that's also doing that. Like, oh, it's fine. I'm a real fan of stuff not escalating in crazy ways. So I feel like 
I can't think of anything specific, but I feel like I have done this to myself in different ways. Like, just like, oh, it's fine. Mm. So yeah, I'm just interested to notice it more. I guess that's the best way to put it. It is very easy to do, for sure. And there are ways in which I still even do it, and I'm more of a reactive person than you are, I think. I see often folks would, like, they're their stress levels and their, um, yeah, getting upset was just quicker than mine. And mine's genuine. Like I felt like it was real, but I see now that it was reactive to sort of stay out of the chaos. Yeah. So yeah. It, I still like it, but I guess I just want to investigate it more, how yeah. it might be better for me. It's hard. I mean, it's really hard to judge how and when to push back against that stuff. Sometimes it just isn't worth it. Sometimes you don't know that it would have been worth it until you know, and you only realize that in retrospect, this is part of what's frustrating about being somebody living under oppression, right? Is that it's hard to pick your battles and to know when you're safe enough to do that and to know if you have allies and to know what the costs are going to be in a particular moment. And sometimes, you know what, you know what, listeners, you just, you don't have to do it. Like you don't have to risk, risk your own safety or your emotional yeah. well-being to, to push back every time. Like it just doesn't have to be a black and white thing that's like really advanced class emotional intelligence is like having a, a good balanced sense of how and when and how much to push back it's a process but i do feel like it was sort of like it was it just went along but there was like that moment like the fundraiser in that moment mm-hmm. and then the runkle and danny mm-hmm. moment at the end yeah and i do think those were kind of the main yeah. Points really. And it is of interest again watching it again years later. I do really like the girl that plays the daughter, but mm. I feel like just she hasn't been given anything to do. Yeah. And her lines are very, still feels like she's delivering lines and not yeah. her fault, just yeah. the way it's written. Yeah. So I, I remember right away thinking she was the coolest kid. But I'm waiting to, to, to yeah. see that more in the script, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting moving forward to see her. And then her relationship with Mia as well, how that ends up evolving. Yeah. When it looked like they were out at the fundraiser and Mia was babysitting Becca, I just forgot, like, how cl- like you know what I mean? Like, how cl- close they are. Like, they're living in the same house. They're ba- Like, she's babysitting Becca. Yeah. And I guess, again, yeah, that didn't... Just the, the, the clarity of how the incestuous situation with Hank is so very close. Yeah. Oh, for, yeah, exactly. And and Mia's talking about having sex. That, and right. like the subtext that we know is that Mia's had sex with Hank. Hank, yeah. And what you also find out towards the uh, spoilers, the so spoiler alert, is that Hank was Mia's first time having sex. <sighs> That's right. I did know that. Yes. So it's possibly the only person she's had sex with at this point in the series. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There's so many things that are just like... Yeah, just to think about. Like, that's yeah. really enormous, too, in terms of just information in the story. Wow. So then Mia is, like, additionally ballsy to have that much confidence with all that stuff when that was her first yeah. sexual encounter. So then, yeah, then she's, like, even higher up there in the confidence <laughs> yeah. for her age and for the whole thing. Yeah. All right. Well, I think yeah, that's... I think think we're about done thank you again listeners for tuning in to another episode of she's She's gotta Gotta have it exclamation mark mark. now that we've said Said it it, we've we've gotta gotta get it it.